Hello everyone and welcome back to From the Felt, brought to you by the Texas Card House. My name is Ryan Crow, and I'm your host. Uh, uh, with me I have Mr. Sam Von Kennel and Mr. Bill Hewer here with me today at the Texas Card House in Spring, Texas. Uh, how's everybody doing? Doing great, Ryan. Welcome to Houston. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Had a quick drive in this morning. wasn't too bad. A little bit of rain on the way, but nothing like you had last week with the you know was it Imelda tropical storm Imelda coming through. Yeah, I hope that doesn't come back anytime soon. That was uh, way too much rain for this area, and good riddance. Yeah, I thought I was going to have to get a boat to get over here, but uh, <laughs> ended up making it all right. How about you, Sam? You drove in this morning as well, didn't you? Yeah, we drove through the rain and traffic the whole time, but it's championship week. We are here. Haven't found a bag yet, but I got two more flights that I can give it a shot. And uh, hopefully we'll be here on be here on day two as a player and not just as a spectator. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who are wondering, we're talking about the Texas Poker Championships. Uh, we're actually recording this on a Friday. Uh, there's a day two today at Prime Social and, excuse me, day one at Prime Social today and tomorrow, which I'm sure all of us are going to fire about 20 bullets off for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, of course, the day twos will be here on Sunday at the Texas Card House. Of course, when this airs, that all will have passed. Hopefully one of you will be wearing that, that nice... Uh, you know, sterling silver and diamond bracelet, but we'll see about that. We'll see where it goes. If I if I do win, I will not be at next week's podcast. I'll be in Vegas. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, today we actually have a very special guest with us, Greg Raymer, uh, WSOP winner in 2004, I believe it is. Uh, uh, happy to have you on the show today, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys inviting me. Absolutely, yeah. And so, Greg, you're uh, Greg's is here this week or this weekend. Uh, host a little seminar on Thursday, which is great, and then uh, going to be here doing a meetup game. I think tonight and tomorrow. So, very, very excited to have you on. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I guess one of the first things I want to just start with is just kind of hear a little bit about your background. Can uh, I'm sure you've been asked this a ton of times. It's been probably 15 years or so, but. Love to hear more about, uh, you know, your WSOP win back in 2004. Like, had you been playing poker for a long time? What was your what was your life and career like before you won the WSOP uh, main event back in 2004? Yeah, I was a full-time patent attorney. I had worked in private practice for six years, and then I'd worked for Pfizer, and they have a big research facility in southeast Connecticut. So that's where I was living at the time, and uh, which is also near Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun, so that was where I would play. And uh, then just had a great week in 04 and quit my job and just been playing poker full time since. But uh, before that point, I mean, I've been playing poker seriously for 12 years before I won the main event. Okay. And when you watch that broadcast, so if you go back to YouTube, whatever, and you rewatch the 04 coverage from on ESPN, they were trying to like recreate the moneymaker story of 03. And that was a great story. I mean, you know, they could honestly say, like, hey, this guy's never played a poker tournament, a live poker tournament, before he enters the world championship, and then he wins the thing. Um, but what they didn't really accentuate with Chris was that he had played a lot of cash games and a lot of online tournaments. And so it wasn't like he was just this total noob, you know, I learned poker yesterday and I'm the world champion, you know, a week later. So they, they kind of glossed that over a little bit. And then in my case, they still were like, ooh, this guy's not a professional. He's not a full-time pro just playing poker. Let's hype up that aspect of it. So they didn't mention things like, oh, well, wait, this is the third time he's played the main event. This is the sixth time he's played a 10K buy-in. This is a, maybe the 500th live tournament he's ever played. And, you know, he's had been playing poker for 12 years and never had a losing year. Like, none of that stuff is getting mentioned because yeah. they want, like, another, like, 
amateur comes from nowhere to win type story. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's because it just it draws so many. I mean, the average Joe can can learn to play poker, and then you know it could be you. You could be winning the main event next that's, year. That's so. a much better story than another pro comes in and wins the main event and scares off all the fishes that want to become pros one day. Not to mention they saw the numbers grow from the moneymaker average Joe story to then, you know, try, so of course they're going to yeah. try to repeat what, what made him so successful. Yes. Yeah, so, so you, you on the year after money, I mean, so that it, it kind of, exp- that was the year it really started to explode, right? I mean, like that was the first really big jump in attendance, right? I, mean, I don't remember the numbers, but wasn't it pretty big that year? We had 2,576 entries that year and it was more than triple what it was the year before. Yeah. Wow. So, so in terms of, Comparison to the year prior, it is the biggest increase in the history of the main event. Um, and the year after that, when Joe Hashem won, it more than doubled again. Yeah. So we had more than six-fold increase in numbers in just two years. Yeah. So so when you were playing that, that week, I mean, was there a point like, – like, like, do you – like, when you think back on it, was there a point in that tournament where you said, man, like, I, I've got a shot here? Like, are we just kind of, like, surviving through it, or were you kind of a chipley – like – like, what was your mindset going through that tournament? Was, you know, were, were you, was there, was there a certain point in time when you kind of said, man, this is happening. Like, I'm going to make a run. I, I would say no. There wasn't really a moment because it's just not the way I approach poker. So, when, and I've been asked that kind of question at the beginning of what you asked. It's like, oh, was there a point where you said, hey, I could do this? Like, well, yeah, that point was like several years before. <laughs> so I knew I could do it. And the way I'm thinking about it is like, oh, you know, before the first hand is dealt, there's, we didn't know the total yet, but so it turns out there's over 2,500 people. The average player has one chance in 2,500. Um, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, lacking in humility, but I knew I was a lot better than the average player in the field. Sure. So I might be thinking like, oh, before the first card is dealt, I'm like one in 800, something like that to yeah. win this thing. And then, oh, wait, you know, I've slowly built my stack to 13,000. You started with 10,000 that year. And then, oh, I got a double up. I flopped a set against someone's pocket kings, got all in, held up, got 26,000. I got two and a half times the starting stack. I'm like, oh, well, now it's like, you know, I'm, I'm down to like one in 200 to win this thing. And so for me, it's just like, oh, you know, like, hey, I'm at the point now where I've got 10% of the chips. I probably have 15, 20% chance of winning. Yeah, so you went in with the mentality, "Hey, I can do this." I mean, like, like you weren't—I mean, you know—you um, you weren't you weren't intimidated by the caliber of players that were there. Or the others, you saw yourself as just as comparable to them, and 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 knew you could hold your own. Well, anyone can hold their own. So you know, to me, that's also kind of a funny thing I hear. Like, a, I see a player who goes deep in a tournament, and then he's like in his exit interview or something, he's talking about how like, well, this really proves that I can hang in there. I can hold my own with these players. And, and I'm sitting there, you know, kind of scratching my head. Cause I'm like, that guy was at my table. He's not very skilled. He really wasn't playing that well. He just got some lucky hands. You know, he hit, he, you know, would hit a big hand at the right time, but he was making a lot of fairly weak decisions you know, and the result really doesn't prove anything. Like when I won the main event, that did not prove I was a good player. It was significant extra evidence. Yeah. You know, and it certainly was indicative that he probably doesn't suck. But, you know, any one result actually doesn't have much meaning 
in terms of what the reality is. I mean, you could have played quite badly and won that tournament. You just would have needed a lot more luck than someone who was playing really well. Right. And so I think you know one of the things we kind of talk about is the element of it comes up a lot in the state of Texas because of the legality and stuff like what percentage of it is luck versus skill. And I think most people agree that there's a very strong or very heavy you know, luck component to poker, but you know, the skill factor is undeniable. That's why you have consistently the top players playing in some of these tournaments and doing well in them. But I think some people, some poker players kind of convince themselves that it's all skill and there's no luck. And that's where I think, you know, some people run afoul, but I agree. I mean, I mean, you know, a a bad player can get very lucky and and make it very far in a tournament. Uh, But typically if you're a very good player, you know, consistently over, over time, you're going to make, make it further in those tournaments than someone who doesn't have that skill. Well, the truth is, when people talk about skill versus luck in poker, um, they're not really thinking of it correctly. Because people ask me, like, well, how much of it's skill and how much is luck? And they want me to say it's it's 50-50 or 80-20 or whatever. They want to think of it like it's this linear scale from 0 to 100. And that, like, oh, see, chess is 100% skill. And roulette is 100% luck. And poker is somewhere in between. But the truth is, luck and skill are separate axes. So if you go back to high school and you had your graph paper and you had your X and your Y axis, Mm -hmm. well, it's like, okay, the X axis might be skill. And chess is a game that involves a lot of skill. So it's over there on the far right. And a game like tic-tac-toe has very little skill. Roulette, very there's no skill in roulette. Every bet on the layout has the same house advantage. So that's a game that's basically at zero skill level. But then you have to look at the luck as a separate component. So if chess is over here at no luck, you know, and it's a highly skilled game, you know, it's on that axis and way out to the right, but it doesn't go up the y-axis because there's no luck in chess. Um, Roulette is over there at the zero skill because there's no skill, but then it's way up, you know, at the top of the luck axis yeah because it's just luck because you know it's just like random which number gets does the ball fall into sure tic-tac-toe there's no there's no luck in that game but there's almost no skill you yeah. can teach a typical five-year-old to be as good as anyone in the world right because if you play it right you'll never lose yeah. yeah and it's not like it but it doesn't take much to teach you how to play it right right so you could literally take any child and teach them to be tied as world champion at tic-tac-toe. Right. Um, then poker, it's you know, it's over there by chess. It's far to the right on the x-axis. But then it's also way up the y-axis because there is a lot of luck in the game as well. Yeah. So in other words, it's not the fact that it's more skill means there is less luck or vice versa. You can have a game like poker that involves a lot of skill and a lot of luck at the same time. And then you can have other games like chess that involve a lot of skill and no luck at all. Yeah, I and mean, that's, a, that's a good way to think about it. There's Just because there's more luck doesn't mean there's less skill. It just Correct. means that they're, 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 that's they're, exactly indi- it. they're independently separate scales. So that's the like sum if, of them isn't 100%. It's like if you pointed to two people and you said, is, is the person on the right taller or blonder than the one on the left? Yeah. It'd be like those two traits have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. How often do you have to find yourself kind of doing what you just did i mean explaining the absolute basics i'll use the phrase like dumbing it down and i know you do it you do a class and you teach like so you're catching a lot of fresh faces new beginners and so when they're seeing this you know know, really breaking it down to the basics like look 
this is profitable, this is not profitable, here's why. And are you really having to dumb it down or I mean, are you going in, in depth with them right off the bat? Well, when I do my group seminars, that is one of the biggest challenges is that I don't want to talk over everyone's head and I don't want to make it so basic that if you're a more seasoned player that you're just thinking, why did I waste my time and money on this? This is too basic. Um, and, and that is the tough balancing act when I've got 30 students sitting there because they do come in a variety of skill levels and stuff. But I think the real trick is just finding ways to explain things where you don't have to like go on and on and on yeah. and you've laid it out simplistically, but then hopefully also exactly enough that people don't oversimplify. And, and it's always humans like to oversimplify. That's one reason like, you know, like the electorate sucks when it comes to like picking candidates and who should I vote for? Because most of us don't want to take the time to really dig into all these thousands of details about each candidate and to help predict which of these people is really going to do the best job representing me and in, in achieving what I would like them to accomplish in that in that office. Yeah. Instead, we just want to be like, you know, this one's tough on crime and this one's weak on crime. So I'm voting for the tough on crime person or whatever. You know, there's let's pick one issue and oversimplify the two candidates and then boom, I can make a simple choice. Um, if you're going to do a great job making any decision, you do have to dig into the details, but people don't like to do that. They're like, you know, well, just tell me, should I raise with that hand or not? I'm like, it depends. Sometimes you raise, it's, sometimes. You know. I was lucky enough to attend your seminar yesterday and uh, I, a lot of it I knew, but a, there was a lot of good nuggets in there that I took home with me and just thought about in depth. And I came and played last night and I did play slightly differently didn't win any money, but I made it to the final well, two that's tables. Not a good endorsement. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're supposed to say, Greg, because of what you taught me, I won it all. <laughs> no, but I did. There are some things that I'll be trying out tonight. Tonight's five thousand dollar free roll. But there, you know, poker is a game that you never stop learning. I, I believe you. There's always something that you can get from somebody. There's a myriad of players out there that play differently. So you've got to adjust based on who you're playing against, the hand that you're dealt, the position that you're in. And uh, I, I am a huge fan of your classes, that's for Thanks. sure. Anybody listening, if you get an opportunity to attend one of Greg's uh, classes, it's a must. It's a must-do in any poker player's arsenal. Well, you just said, you know, like you're always learning and you have to or whatever. I'm like, well, you don't have to. There are a lot of players that do not improve. No, yeah. But, and this is the truth, if you are not getting better, you are getting worse. And that applies to everything. Yeah. So... Even if, let's say, it's a physical thing like a game like golf. I mean, it's largely a mental game, but it's still a physical game. I mean, you know, there's no 70-year-old that's going to hit the ball as far as a, you know, a competent 30-year-old player. Yeah. Um, but there is no professional golfer who is not always practicing and training and trying to get better. You know, even like Tiger Woods, when he was number one in the world for, for weeks and months, and he's still like, well, I think I might make a big swing change to try to get better. Um, and, and even if someone said, oh, that kind of backfired, you know, in his case. But it's still the point that if you are not working to get better, you can't just sit still in any activity, any endeavor. You are then going to start losing ground and fading away even by accident. So you should be trying to get better all the time. And even if that only enables you to just tread water, 
that means you're not drowning. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so where did it all where did it all start for you? What what got you interested in poker before you said 12, 13 years prior to winning the World Series in 2004 you had been playing? Where did it all start for you? Uh, essentially it started with blackjack. So when I was going to graduate school at the University of Minnesota, for some unknown reason, an aunt of mine for Christmas gave me a gift of a book called The World's Greatest Blackjack Player. And I think she probably saw it on the bookshelf and like, oh, this is all like the math and stuff. And Greg likes math. And, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't gamble. Why did she get me this? You know, but I, you know, looked at it and then I found it kind of interesting. And I'm like, oh, there's these new tribal casinos with blackjack. I'm going to go try this out. And that ended up becoming my like part-time student job was being a card counter playing blackjack. And then I finished grad school. I went to law school, finished that, got my first job in Chicago. They have riverboats here. I can still do blackjack. And I went there and I'm like, ooh, these rules are unfavorable for card counting. And for me to even make like $50 an hour, I was going to need like a quarter million dollar bankroll. I'm like, you know, if you have a quarter million dollars to invest, you can probably do better than $50 an hour, like 10 hours a week, playing, you know, which is how much time I might be able to spend playing blackjack. You know, I'm like, I can probably invest this and make better than $500 a week some other way. And I'm like, eh. And then I, I heard someone said, oh, they have these charity games you can play blackjack. So I went to check one of those out. And I'm like, oh, well, this person didn't realize you can only bet $10 max. I'm like, okay, I can't make money here. I think, oh, but they have these poker tables. People are playing poker, you know. It was like 3-6 Limit Hold'em and 3-6 Omaha High-Low. And I had played poker with buddies in college and stuff. So I, I, I kind of knew the rules, but I had no real competence at the game. But I'm like, we always had fun. I'll, I'll go here, like, instead of just going straight home now after driving out here to this place, I will play some poker for fun. And then I heard things like pot odds and stuff like this from players and you know how they tell you, like, like don't talk down to that guy who just put a bad beat on you because, hey, maybe you're going to wise him up and he'll realize he's playing bad and he'll start playing better? Well, that's what they did to me. I actually did manage to win, but they're like, oh, you, you didn't have the pot odds to make that call. And I'm like, what's, what's pot odds, you know? And so I'm like, there's obviously a lot I don't know about this game. And I went to a used bookstore and I bought all three books they had on poker and read them and found some online poker forum and started studying the game and I was having fun and just so I kept playing these three six limit charity games and worked my way up over the years was there not poker like traditional poker on the casino boats that you're talking about no those river boats did not have regular poker rooms at that time so in Chicago it was these this this Rockford charity casinos it was called and they would like go to a different like hotel meeting room like you know this holiday inn you know holiday inn elgin one day and then you know a ramada inn ballroom the next day and they would set up like you know the blackjack and roulette and other table games as well as poker tables and they collected rake and the the profit went to the charity you know and but that was the only public poker that wasn't like a you know like an illegal home game well that's what i was going to say is how quickly did you then rise from the ranks of you know crushing the charity poker world to then finding the the real home games and and battling the home game heroes i didn't really i did find a home game 
Um, but that was also like three six limit, and then it was like a mix of about five different games. Okay. And uh, then I took a job in San Diego, and now they had real poker rooms. Yeah. yeah. So I would go to those real poker rooms, and every now and then it'd be like, okay, get up on Saturday morning, drive up to L.A. Because there's like, oh, there's a $500 tournament at the Commerce or the Bike or whatever. Or actually, at that point in my career, probably more like a $100 or $200 tournament. What year was that? I lived there from 95 to 98. Well, our paths probably crossed because I turned 21 right around that time and played my first hand of poker on my birthday at the Commerce Club in 95. Well, I wasn't up there that often, but, you know, occasionally I'd be up there. And, like, my main game was still, like, the 3-6. But Oceanside Card Club had a regular pot limit hold'em game. And at that point in the 90s, there was, like, no public poker room in the country that had a regular no-limit or pot limit game. It was, you know, I mean, I don't know that it was true, but I would have people tell me, like, oh, this is the only one in the country. Any other, like, regular big bet game would have to be in a private game somewhere. So even like commerce and stuff did not have like, oh, yeah, every day we have one, two, no limit. Like, no, that stuff. Those are games that popped up during big tournament series right. and no other time. But it was like two, five blind pot limit hold'em and the minimum buy-in was only 100 bucks. So it's like, oh, I'm normally playing three, six limit, but I could go take a shot. In fact, one story that was pretty good. So I've taken a shot at this game a couple of times, and then one night I buy in for my hundred, and I end up winning twenty five hundred dollars. Good night. So it was by far the biggest single win of my career at the time, and I'm coming home at like three a.m. and of course my wife's already asleep in bed, and she's sitting there sleeping, and I stand over her with these twenty five hundred dollar bills, and I start sprinkling them down on her, <laughs> while she and that wakes her up, and she's like, "What? What? what you know, what's going on?" You know, and she's like, what's all this? And I'm like, I won $2,500. And she's like, oh, my God. You know, she's all excited. And so then the next day I go back there and I'm going to play the game again. I end up losing 500 bucks. And when I come home from that session and she's, how did it go? And I'm like, oh, I lost 500. And she was so mad. Like, what are you doing? We can't afford to lose $500. And I'm like, I just won $2,500. And she's like, that doesn't matter. She's like, that money was in your pocket and you lost $500. You know, and I'm just like. I'm like, you know, at one point I'm like, look, if I had won a thousand yesterday and if I had won a thousand today, would you be mad at me? And she's like, well, of course not. I'm like, well, what's the difference? <laughs> you know, I won 25, lost five. It's the same thing. And she's like, no, it's not. Now, at that point in time, that was how she felt. Nowadays, she'd be like, yeah, it's the same thing. She understands it better. But it was just, you know, looking back on it, I'm just like, how can you be so mad at me? Right. You know, like the night before, if I'd gotten to the point where I was plus 2,500, lost back 500 of it and then quit and came home and told her I won 2000 again like she wouldn't be mad about that yeah <laughs> that's hilarious yeah it's, it's kind of that mentality at casinos that say quit while you're up you know it's like you know she you know a lot of people have that that same mindset and, and don't understand the variability or the variance in poker right because I mean you know I think most people win over a period of time like you if you're going to poker thinking you're going to win every single session every time or Obviously, you should have the mindset that you're going to, but when it doesn't happen, if you just completely get pissed off and go, you know, go on tilt, then you're probably not. It's probably not for you. That's why you got to play the fossil man way, because then over time you will be a winner. You will be a champion. You'll have over eight million dollars in career winnings. Um, I don't know if you guys were aware, but besides winning 2004, he finished 25th in 2005. It's pretty darn close to uh, winning wow. the thing back to back, as far as I'm concerned. That's uh, an accomplishment. Well. 
I appreciate that. I mean, it was another thing where things mostly went well. Yeah. And then one really bad hand where I got super unlucky. And, uh, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> there was the, the, the key hand in the 05 main event. The way I refer to that hand is I got bad beat for $40 million of equity. Just tell us about that hand. Well, I was this uh, kid, and now why am I... Half the time I remember his name instantly, and half the time I blank on it. But uh, um, basically, he had decided he was going to float me. And of course, in 05, no one used the word float. It hadn't been invented yet. But And it was a play that most people didn't do or understand, but he knew about it. And he had just decided, he told me later, well, the next time you raise, I'm going to call no matter what I have. I'm going to call the flop no matter what I have. And then I'm going to bluff the turn no matter what I have. Well, I had raised with kings, and he had ended up with queen jack of hearts. And the flop came all little cards, rainbow, one heart. And he called my bet. And then the turn was another small heart. And I bet. And he says immediately said raise. And took like a minute or two to like count chips and stack them up. And then finally, and the whole time I'm looking at him and I'm just like, what are you doing? You don't have anything. I was just sure that he had nothing at all. And so basically he sat there for a couple of minutes and finally put together enough chips for how much he was going to raise, pushed them forward. And as he's pushing these stacks of chips forward, as soon as he like pushed them ahead and started to take his hands away, I immediately just said, I'm all in because I'm just like, I know you're full of shit. I know you don't have anything. So, you know, I just waited for his raise to become legally binding and then announced all in. And he immediately just like, ah, you know, and, but then at that point he decided he was pot stuck. He called off the rest of his stack, hit another heart on the river and the pot would have given me like 10% of all the chips in play. Ouch. That hurts. And so I would have given myself 15% to win it all. And if I win it all back to back at that point in poker, you know, when it's at its peak on TV and everything, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, I already have a deal representing poker stars, but it would have been like, okay, we need to renegotiate and give me some ownership. <laughs> and then and then when they sell a few years later for $5 billion and I own maybe 1%, 2 3%. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, 15% of what I would have made from that deal and, you know, 15% of the first prize and... Those expensive busts. So that's why I say like forty million in equity. Yeah. Now, if I had won that pot and won the whole thing, and PokerStar said <laughs> yes, we will give you some ownership. You know, that might have been over two hundred million dollars. Wow. You know, but obviously it's only a percentage of that number because it wasn't like having ten percent of the chips meant I was going to win. It meant fifteen percent. Same go. thing the last year. People said, "When did you know you were going to win?" I said, "Never." Like when David turned over the hand I could beat on the last hand and I saw that I was winning, that's the moment I knew before that. It's like, oh, I had 70% of the chips. I thought I was 80% likely to win. But that meant 20% of the time I'm going to be disappointed yep. and I'm going to finish second. And so that's the way I thought of it. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm a lock and now I'm, you know, suicidal because it didn't happen. It's like, no, it's like 80% yes, 20% no. Sam, what's your chances of winning the Texas Booker Championship Series? Ooh. Oh, eighth place last time. And <laughs> I'll keep saying that. I just got to remind everybody I did get eighth place last time. Eight is a lucky number. So, I mean, so, you, know. you know, probably like 95% to final table. <laughs> shoe in to take it down. On that 2004 event, did you win your way in or did you buy directly into the main event? 
Well, I did win my seat on Poker Stars, which is why I later ended up, you know, representing them because, you know, they had a deal at that time. Like, if you win your seat and, you know, like you win your seat, you win like $1,000 for travel expenses. Um, back then, they did not just put like the 10000 in your account. It was like, no, no, no. You like get an email and you send them your information and they buy you in. Mm-hmm. And if you chose not to show up, then you're getting blinded out and, you know. So, but when you show up, it was like also part of the information they told you by email was like, oh, if you sign this form once you get here that says you agree to wear our logo throughout the tournament, then we're going to also give you a free hotel room. Hmm. So I was emailing them and I was like, hey, you know what? I, I appreciate the free hotel room, but like that was at Treasure Island, I think. Maybe it was a different one, but it was a property up the strip like that, you know, away from downtown. And this is all still at Binion's at that time. Yeah. And I'm like, I've already got a room booked at Binion's. Like, I'd rather just stay there for convenience sake. Uh, Can you give me something else? And they were like, well, we'll just like, you know, like it's going to cost us 800 bucks for your room at Treasure Island. We'll just give you the money. I'm like, that's fine. You know, like I'd rather, I'd rather, I mean, the hotel room at Binion's aren't, it's not like it was anything special, but it was like 25 bucks a night and it's right there. Yeah, yeah. You'd and like get we'd, that we'd, yeah, too. we'd go on break. It'd be like, oh, I don't want to wait in line for the men's room. I'll just take the elevator up to my room, and I can, you know, I can use that toilet and then come back down, and it'd be quicker than standing in line, anyways. Yeah. Um, but it was still, you know, to me though, it wasn't. It wasn't like I really won my. It wasn't like, oh, if it weren't for this, I wasn't going to play because I already had that room booked. I already had the, you know, the the airplane booked. I was already going. So to me, this was like winning $11,000 in cash when I won that seat. Because it just meant, oh, that's $10,000 I don't have to pay and another $1,000 for travel money. Yeah. Um, Have you played in all the main events since you won? Oh, yeah. If I am not in the main event, there is some reason it's impossible. (laughs) So like 100 years from now, the the smart money would be betting on me not playing the main event because I'm dead. Um, you know, I don't think anyone alive today expects to be alive a hundred years from now. Um, never know. You never know, but it's not a reasonable expectation. Certainly now, since I'm over 50, I don't think I would reasonably expect to be alive a hundred years from now. I'm 40. I've only got about 85 years left in me. So, you know, so, but whatever, like if I'm not in the main event next year, there is some reason it's impossible. And I guarantee you, if my daughter's ever getting married, you know, be like, honey, you know, like, this is when the main event is. Do not <laughs> schedule your wedding <laughs> right. for that week. Because if you do, I won't be there. But not or, just the or, main or, event. Or pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Not just the main event, but you play more than that. I mean, I played mixed game yeah. with you last night, and you seem to really enjoy playing those mixed games. So is there... Oh, they're much better. Yeah. I mean, you, you is there any other game besides the main event that you really enjoy playing uh, in the summer? Well, I love a lot of the games. I mean, I'm there the whole summer. Yeah. So, so far, every year from, you know, the year after... When it was 05 until now, I'm there for the whole month and a half. And I love all the other games. I, If I'm playing a cash game, I would much rather play. Like, No Limit Hold'em is my last pick for a cash game. Nothing. I, there's no poker game that's that I'm really aware of that I'm like, oh, no, I'll pick No Limit Hold'em rather than that. Um, and I especially prefer split pot games and limit games, draw games, stud games, all that stuff. The only negative thing about playing those games like at the World Series is that limit games don't make good tournament games. 
there's just so much more variance in any type of game when it's being played to limit. So probably my favorite event after the main event would be the single draw. Because that's no limit, deuce to seven, single draw. So because it's no limit, it doesn't suffer from that disadvantage of being a limit game. <clears throat> and what yet is it's that disadvantage to interrupt? Like, what's the disadvantage between well, no limit and limit? Basically, the stack sizes get shallower in limit tournaments. So if you look at the main event, which of course is the greatest structure of any tournament anywhere, and that's why it takes, you know, even if you didn't have all these days off and stuff, it's still over a week of play. Um, the average stack, even at the end of that tournament, is well over 50 big blinds, often even 100 big blinds for the average stack. But in a limit tournament, you that will never happen ever. If you give a better structure, it will just take longer till we get to the money. But any limit tournament I've ever played, like even like the 50K horse tournament, the first year they did that event, it was horse, all limit games. 140 or so people entered, and it's five days long. That's obviously an, an, a, a fantastic structure. Five days for a winner out of 140-odd people. But what happened is like almost no one busted day one, and still the vast majority, you know, most of the field's still in after day two. And so by the time you get down to the point where you're like, oh, we're paying 10% and we have like 30% of the field left, the average stack in any limit tournament is maybe 15 or 20 blinds. And so if you just look at a very ordinary hand of, of like, oh, it's, it's limit hold'em and you raise and I defend my big blind. Oh, I have jack 10 suited. I defend. The flop comes king 10 four. Well, I'm not supposed to fold. You know, I mean, we could debate strategy, you know, like, should I be, like, leading out? Should I be check-calling, check-raising, you know? But certainly, I don't think any good player would say check-fold would be your first thing to do there. Um, and I'm probably not supposed to fold at any point. I'm probably supposed to get to the river. And so the only question is how many bets go in before I get to the river. But if I lose this hand, I'm going to lose, like, at least seven big blinds. And if I'm an average stack, that's half my chips. So just very ordinary. So it turned out you did have ace-king. So after it came king-10-3, it now came 7-7. Seven, seven. I lose. I'm losing seven or more blinds. And it's you can't call it a cold deck. You can't call it a bad beat even. It's just a very ordinary hand. But if both of us play it well, I'm guaranteed to lose at least half my stack. And so your difference then in the no limit is that I guess some of the players early on are just faster. You know, they're getting out. You know, chip averages are going up, and the blinds haven't raised as many times. And so when you get down to home stretch, you're still playing it. I mean, you still have, you know, I mean, obviously this isn't going to be the case if you're talking about, like, a, a small daily tournament in any poker room in the country where yeah, we're talking people start at yeah. 7 and they're done by midnight. But any, like, significant tournament that has, you know, two or three days of play to it, most of those have at least 30 big blinds on the average stack at any point. And there's plenty of hands that like are automatically defend your big blind and limit hold them that you would now just almost automatically fold in no limit because like, oh, this hand doesn't play well in no limit hold them. 
So if you raise my big blind and limit hold them, and I look down at king five, I'm really not supposed to fold. But that's definitely a hand that I could easily fold in no limit. Because now when I do flop one pair with it, I'm often still in bad shape. But if I'm in bad shape and limit, I'm only going to lose so much more. I can, in other words, because I can limit my losses, it becomes correct to not fold. But now if I don't fold that hand in the no limit game, I'm losing like my whole 30 or 50 or whatever my average stack is. Um, so those, for those reasons, you end up with lower variance because you are supposed to maybe play tighter in some spots when it's big bet. Yeah, a lot of that. <clears throat> just just goes straight over my head. It, it's not your fault. You, you don't know me, but I don't fold, period. I don't, I don't have <laughs> any you folds. Would, you would be a, then you would be better fold. at limit holding, probably. Most likely, yeah. He'd really uh, be might, better that if might help my help my bankroll. Game. We've got uh, other games we should probably look at for you, Sam. Well, yeah, I'm a I'm an ultimate Texas Hold'em pro. <laughs> That's I, right. I, I Do you play ultimate Texas Hold'em by any chance, Greg? I, I understand that it is a table game Yeah. in the casinos. Other than that, I, I don't have any clue what the rules are. You need to no. come out with the uh, ultimate Texas Hold'em team one time and check that game out and use your math mind against what we've already come up with to solve the riddle of how to beat that game. But I think we're close. I, and with a guy I, like you, I think we can get there. I think Without I might... knowing even the slightest bit about the rules of the game, I can almost guarantee you that you are never going to beat the game well don't say never because we got close <laughs> we got close <laughs> well <one> put it <laughs> like this it's like saying like Without you're going to be roulette like okay if i play roulette and the house has a 10 percent edge on me in this casino with their roulette games but if i'm playing that you know wheel of fortune game and i hit the big one and win like one or two or three million yes i maybe now will be a lifetime winner at i mean not roulette but at, at, at uh, slot machines right you know, so I meant slot machines. But if I now hit that big jackpot on that machine, I might now become a lifetime winner at slots. Doesn't mean I actually beat the game in the sense of I learned how to play well enough that I'm expected to beat the game. Right. But uh, I think he's making the assumption that we're playing by the rules. Right. There, there is something that we're leaving out, and it's because we don't want to talk about it just yet. At least so you're on talking. The air. Let's say you're talking about like you're developing a method of like card counting. So to speak, well, like, like card a poker share. player being able to calculate outs and figure out a percentage fast that only poker players are able to do because we do it, you know, every two minutes on a poker table when we're playing. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're not talking about just I place my bet and see what happens. No, 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 no. So there's a lot of like you could talk about like blackjack is supposed to be unbeatable, but like oh, someone invented card counting. Yeah, right. And uh, you're playing completely within the rules you're not cheating it's not like you're marking cards and no not doing anything past like posting that. or anything illegal but no. you now can play within the rule of the games and win yeah no, it's it's just that you know as a poker player you know where your hand stands versus one blind hand at any point in time like you you, you would call a blind all in you would probably call with any jack high by the numbers you know, maybe maybe even lower than that and so what we're saying is an ultimate Texas Hold'em. It's just your hand versus a dealer's hand, and then you add in the extra component that we've been work crafting, and that is sharing your cards with your neighbor. And now you know your flush draw has two yeah, less outs because I'm blocking. You, there, you mean sharing the information about your cards, yeah. not switching cards, no, right? No, 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 no. Sure, sharing, sure, sharing exactly. I just want to make sure people understood that sharing did not <laughs> yeah. mean 
physically yeah, no. sharing. Yeah. No. Probably, it meant like it meant like curling up your cards and letting yeah. yeah, hey, here, see what I got here and you see what I have. You, you take my seven and I'll give you my ace and yeah. I yeah, got a yeah, straight yeah. and you got a set. Yeah. Yeah, I mean No, I I mean when you flop a flush draw and then you see that I have two of your club outs and Ryan has two of your club outs, you know we're not gonna max bet this draw here. Like you know it, yes. it's a so that you know, yeah. coupled and, with and the, if and if the casino doesn't care that you've exposed your cards to the other players, then you're not breaking a rule and everything's fine. Yeah, they, they don't care till they care. Yeah, <laughs> one, once or twice the pit well, boss says, "Don't do that." Well, put it like this: I was once asked to leave for card counting in a Vegas casino. I wasn't actually asked to leave. I was told I was not welcome to play blackjack at that property anymore. If I wanted to play any other game, I was welcome. And so I chose to leave because I didn't want to play anything else. But again, they have told me like, yes, we're, we're, we think you're counting cards. We are interested in that fact. We don't want you to do it. But it's not like, oh, and if we could prove it, we're calling the cops and throwing you in jail. Yeah. Well, so there's there's different levels. I mean, there's we're interested because we think you're marking cards and literally cheating versus we think you're doing something that isn't technically against the rules, but that we frown upon and don't want you to do. And we will ask you not to play anymore because we think you're doing it. So in my case, it's card counting. In your case, it's whatever system you're developing for this ultimate Texas Hold'em. It's called peaking. We're called peaking. Yeah. <laughs> we're not counting. It's we're a, peaking. It's a, it's a very loose oh. system. Well, like I said, <laughs> I'm really not, not a lot of research and, going you know, on. Grab some so now you're talking it. about something other than like, oh, we're developing like a betting pattern strategy. No, you know, I, like it'd be like, oh, the only way to beat, you know, craps is to press your bets when you're hot. And I'm just like, you can't, like, you can't like, tell I'm sorry, when you're hot. How many times were you hit in the head as a child? You know, like. <laughs> That makes no mathematical sense. Um, That's hilarious. Now, Greg, you've played all over the U.S. You've played all over the world. What do you think about how we're doing things here in Texas? This has to be the most unique poker situation that you've ever had the pleasure of playing in. What, what are your thoughts on it? When you came into Texas, came into Texas Card House, mm-hmm. what'd you think? Well, I mean, first impression when I walked in this building was like, wow, this is really, you know, you guys didn't go cheap on the build out. He did say that. So it's like, you know, it's a very nice setting. It's attractive. You know, I think you've picked what are basically the best chairs available. I love these kinds of chairs. I don't like the ones on wheels. I like the ones like this that are like these big solid legs. And then they have almost like a like a sled on the yeah, bottom. Gliders. They call them gliders. Gliders. Yeah. yeah you know, Platt chairs. Yeah. Them. And it's so it's like, you know, now it's like when I sit here. My weight pushes those sliders, gliders, into the carpet, and my chair stays put. But as soon as I, like, you know, start to get up a little bit, kind of, you know, put more weight on my feet and less on my butt, now I can easily glide the chair. So these are exactly, like, if any anyone anywhere was, like, asking for my input, like, Greg, I'm opening a new poker room. That'd be, like, one of the things I'd tell them is to get this kind of chair. I love these. Um, you know, but cheap. also, I mean, you know, your staff all seems, you know, very friendly, engaging. You know, they're obviously all or almost all poker players. So, you know, that makes a difference. You know, it's not someone who's just like, I know how to throw cards, but I really don't know what I'm, what you guys are doing as you play. That makes a big difference. They like to think they're poker players. Please don't don't feed the egos of our staffs. Well... There's poker players, and then there's subsets of winning players, and okay, okay, other types then yeah, sure, they're poker players. That's right. So they're definitely within the broader category of poker players. <laughs> um, 
you know, which also means that they, they understand the concerns of the player. So when they're dealing, they're like, I know what you're getting at when you say something to me because I know your point of view from sitting at the table as a player. And again, that helps that dealer as a customer service agent doing their job. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for the floor and, you know, cashiers and everyone else. So, I mean, I think you've got a great environment here. And I hope that either the state and the cities continue to leave you guys alone or even better, you get an actual specific like court ruling that this model is legal. Um, I'm a libertarian. I think anyone anywhere should be allowed to open a poker room. And the only issue would be things like, well, like, well, there's zoning laws here. You can't have a business in the residential neighborhood or you know, well, you got to get a, you know, business license to run your business or whatever. But, you know, it's not like, oh, but no, you can't open that business at all, no matter what. I don't like that attitude. So there might be some appropriate government regulation, oversight. But just like when I go eat in a restaurant, I, I kind of like to know that there's a health inspector who comes there every now and then and is helping make sure that they're not serving me botulism. Yeah. And so... The only question is what level of oversight is, you know, necessary for this type of business. You know, if I'm running a clothing store, you're not that worried about me, like, harming the customers. I can't make them, you know, deathly sick because of the clothes I sell them. So you don't want me ripping people off and saying this is all cotton when it isn't all cotton or whatever. You don't want me lying to consumers, but you don't need much oversight of that kind of business. So different businesses might have different levels of oversight, but I don't think any of them should be disallowed in their entirety. So I hope everything continues to go great for this club and the other clubs in, in the state. Yeah, that makes two of us. I, I, I agree. I mean, the, the you know, it, it's it's crazy that that just when you kind of boil everything down and kind of take a step back that if you want to open a poker room that some people will just say, no, you can't, you, they don't want you to do it. And just, you know, it's one of those things that we've been battling with for quite a while in the state. And so hopefully we'll continue to, you know, push things forward for, for, for poker and, and, and we'll be around for a long time. Absolutely. And we hope you come back and see us uh, periodically. I hear you're going to be playing in the uh, $200,000 guarantee Scott tournament tomorrow. Um, yeah. The current plan is like, well, we have a, tournament here tonight right at this club and uh, it's was it a 5k free roll something like that five thousand dollar guaranteed and, free roll tonight yeah and uh, i don't remember if there was like a bounty on me or something else but i mean i'll certainly be in the tournament tonight here at the texas card house houston tomorrow is saturday and the thought is i will go down to prime and play day one and uh bag massive chips and then come back here on sunday for day two and win it all and sorry, Sam, you're, you're, you're 95 percent just dwindled. We're not chopping heads up. I'm just saying that now. No, I'm not I, chopping. Fine. Look, I'm not easy to make a deal with. I will always be glad to talk a deal. But what I tell people is this: like, look, it. If you offer me a fair deal, I say no, thank you, because I would then rather just have the fun of playing it out. So I'm not saying you should or that I deserve better than a fair deal. But unless you offer me more than a fair deal. I will just kindly say no thanks. Right. It's like you want the fun of playing down to that. I mean, there's kind of, because I I don't play in a whole lot of tournaments, but I I have had the fortunate, you know, experience of getting into heads up in one of the 10K guarantees in Austin. 
And it was kind of a rush for the first time ever doing it. Like, like I'm playing heads up with a guy. You know, it's several thousand dollars we're playing for. I mean, I think there ended up being like 20 grand in the pot. And so like first place was like 6,000. Second place was like 3,000. But it was exciting, you know. And so, um, yeah, I, I totally understand now why people don't want to chop and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I know why a lot of people do. But um, I, I get where you're coming from because like if you're going to pass up that experience, that opportunity and that fun, then you kind of want something for it. Yeah. I, would, I don't think I'd ever pass up the opportunity to play heads up against a world champion. I mean, that's <laughs> how often does that happen? Um, so if we do get down to heads up on Sunday, doesn't matter what kind of deal you offer me, Greg, I'm going for it. I, well, I, I doubt I'm offering you a lucrative deal. Um, I promise you after watching him, you're not going to offer him any deal. Greg, Greg, this is my only deal I'll offer. If it were heads up, you can take third place money and I'll walk away with the rest. <laughs> Well, you can, you're going to offer that you to see? me anytime, and I will politely say no. Um, but That's only heads up, though, remember. You know, I, I will <laughs> warn you, though, that in my entire history playing poker tournaments, only counting big bets, so not limit games, but pot limit or no limit poker tournaments, all the times I've gotten to heads up, only once have I not won. Oh, really? That's scary stuff. And, well, part of that, though, is because of those, uh, everyone chops nowadays. That's so true. He's starting to negotiate his everyone chop right now. Chops. <laughs> That's what he's doing. <laughs> I've done a lot of live stream commentaries specifically for the Heartland Poker Tour. So it's like, oh, I've traveled to an event. I haven't made the final table, so I'm doing the commentary on the live stream. And of all the commentary I've done, all the times I've you know been there while these two people have gotten down to heads up, and you can't make deals on the HPT, so they always have to play it out for all the money. I have only seen one player who I would describe in terms other than incompetent at heads up poker. Only one. Everyone else, I would say, fits that description of incompetent at heads up poker. Was it a well-known player? Um, no. No. But they played, I th as far as I could tell, they played quite well. Their opponent wasn't horrible, but not really that good. And I've seen many matches where both of them are just like horrible like you these guys don't understand at all how to play heads up mm -hmm. and it is a very different thing because players don't adjust that well so if you're a tight player then you almost certainly do not play enough hands when your head's up but even the most loose player you get some guy who's playing over half of his hands well, even those players, once they get to heads up, well, now they, they were playing 50%. Now they're maybe playing 70%. And it's like, no, 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 you, you need more than that. Mm -hmm. You know, this is heads up. There's only two of you. Yeah. You know, like, again, depending upon you and how you play, my numbers will vary. But against everyone out there put together, I'm going to average, you know, playing at least 85% of my hands. Yeah. In, in heads up play. In heads up. Yeah. And so, and there's just players, you know, they just don't do that. Or, you know, they call a raise, then they flop bottom pair, and then they fold to a C-bet. And it's like, no, you have a pair. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, you know, if you've got a great read on the guy and you know he's strong this time, yeah, fine. Good fold. But if that's just, yeah, it's only bottom pair, I'm giving it up. Then you just, again, you're playing, you know. So there have been many, many players. I get to heads up, and now I can just, you know, like, okay, min-raise preflop. I see bet no matter what, you know, and they're folding preflop 
30 to 50 percent of their hands or more and then when they don't fold they fold to the seabed every time they don't hit the flop and you're missing two out of three flops yeah so now they're just like i'm gonna be able to grind them down with 100 percent certainty i don't have to like win any big hands at all yeah See, that's I hate to beat a dead horse, but that's where our ultimate Texas Hold'em experience comes into play. It's all heads up practice. (laughs) So So, what he's saying is we're all experts. I I got the impression that you guys are looking for investors or something. This seems like a solicitation. You really need someone who knows the math. So really to like seal that that uh, that hole for us. Well, I have lots of friends who are exceptional math guys. Okay. Okay. So they used to be this group of players that would. You know, like, you know how people will get a house together during the World Series? Yeah. Get one of these vacation rentals. And and that's by far the cheapest way to do it is if there's a big enough group, like five to ten of you all, like, get together to rent out a vacation house. And they called it the math house. And The math house. The math house. Okay. Not math. (laughs) Not the math Math. house. Like, the mathematics house. (laughs) I just want to make sure we're clear Not the methamphetamine house. (laughs) Not the Breaking Bad house. No. Just checking. And these guys are all, like, like the most well-known of them would be Bill Chen, Mm -hmm. who co-authored the mathematics of poker. And, you know, he's the kind of guy that, like, like traditional Chinese poker, you remember that game where just everyone got 13 cards and you set your hand? Uh-huh. Well, sometimes they would play with a rule like, you know, everyone gets their cards. You know, once the deal was done, it'd be like, okay, we all pick up and look at once. And then it was either the first person to set his hand got like a bonus or the last person to set their hand had a penalty and had to like pay everyone a point. You didn't want to play that with Bill Chen. <laughs> because he would just spread his 13 cards. He didn't have to, like, organize them by suit or by rank. Uh-huh. He would spread the 13, look at them for about four seconds, and then, like, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, three. You wow. know, just boom, boom. I mean, I never saw him take even 10 seconds to set a hand. And I never saw him set a hand where I thought, that's a big, that's a bad set. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. I mean, he just, you know, and that's math. That's not, you know. And he, so he's just, you know, that kind of guy. He's got a brilliant mathematical mind. And then so do all these other guys that used to, like, stay in the math house. Yeah, amazing. So the, uh, the notes that you took, I think you were the first player that I've ever remember seeing taking notes at the World Series. Do you still have that little notebook, by the way, from 2004? I do not think I do. Do you still take notes on players when you're playing in big tournaments or any tournament? Well, I never really was taking notes on players. I was just doing things like... Like, in tournaments, I would do my chip count every level. And then I would take notes on interesting, excuse me, on interesting hands, hands that I wanted to analyze later. So, I mean, let's say we've played a hand where I've raised and you went all in. And I'm trying to decide whether I'm correct to call. Well, now I will, when the hands, whether I call or fold, when the hand is over, I would write down those details. You know, it's like, oh, I raised to 5000 you went all in for 45000 you know, which, how much dead money, if any, was in the pot, you know, maybe some notes about the hands I put you on at the time, mm-hmm. and then, you know, and of course my two cards, but then later I could go to my computer and I could use tools like Poker Stove and stuff like that to analyze this and like, okay, like, I had to call 40000 more to win 52000 and... You know, so this was the price I needed to win this percentage. You know, I needed to be able to to win this pot more than forty two percent of the time, 
to correctly call and I had this hand and this was the range I put you on and now with poker stove I could say okay if if my range that I put you on is accurate did my hand have more or less than 42% equity and okay whether I did or did not have 42% equity against that range what if I'm wrong what if your range was wider or or tighter mm -hmm. so I could reanalyze it several times and then at the end of it, I might say, oh, look at that. I should have called even if you had a, what I thought was too tight of a range. Mm -hmm. So you were taking that information back to, I mean, this was before I taking it home and on my computer and... Punching it in. And, and doing the analysis now that I can relax and do it in full detail. Yeah. And the thing is, the more you do that analysis, like right now, if you just said to me, Greg, how much equity does Ace-Jack have against uh, all of the top 10% hands? You know, I can give you a number and I'll probably be within one or two percent of yeah. the correct answer. Because you've looked because, at it a number of times. I've just done those kinds yeah. of analyses thousands of times. So, yeah, sometimes I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to tell you that an answer to something is 30 percent. It turned out it was 36. Yeah. You know, or I'm going to say it's 40 and it was 32 and whatever. So I might be off by a substantial amount sometimes. But most of the time, if... If I say to you, oh, that's like 36%, it's probably between 34 and 38. Yeah. Um, that's know. the fascinating stuff that you learn at the Fossil Man Poker Training, which I'm blessed to be able to attend that yesterday. Thank you for doing that. Um, Brian, you need to attend that, my friend. I know, right? I, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get out here yesterday. Uh, so I'm actually driving back to Austin as soon as this wraps up. So, uh, But uh, we're coming up on an hour. So any other last questions that you want to kind of ask before we... Uh, no, thank you so much for taking your time and being a part of this. Good luck in tonight's tournament. Good luck in tomorrow, and I hope you make it to day two. I hope we all make it there to uh, to see what's what on the poker table. Well, yeah, we just get like the four of us as the final four on Sunday. There you and, go. Uh, Sounds like a plan. And then, you know, when when Ryan says, you guys want to talk a chop, and, and all three of us look <laughs> at him like, are you crazy? You've heard all three of us say, like, We're, we don't chop. <laughs> like, why are you bothering to ask? So that wasn't a put down, by the way. That oh, was no, just I, like three people who've all I'm said, thrilled like, to, I'm not thrilled to know chop. you think I'm going to be in the final four. That's, I'm, I'm actually, I just was like on cloud nine just then. You know, but but that was my only point. I wasn't trying to diss you. I was just like, <laughs> hey, three people who are like, um, you're not, I'm not going to chop because I want to get heads up with Greg. And <laughs> Sam's not going to chop because he doesn't ever chop. And I'm like, well, I'll chop, but only if you give me more than a fair deal. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll give you Sam and Bill's cut. And you and I'll chop. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, good stuff. Well, thank you. Appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, look forward to hopefully having you back in, 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 in Texas here soon. Uh, and, and, and really appreciate you coming and spending some time with us. But uh, no, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's, been, been, a great my, it's been my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Well, uh, with that, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up. And everybody out there, have a good day. And thank you for listening.